This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. It is really hard to say at this juncture what kinds of permanent changes and challenges America might see as a consequence of this pandemic. But churches and parachurch organizations will need to be prepared for changes in the wake of COVID-19. And my next guest is now warning us about the exploding numbers of people dealing in particular with loneliness and pornography addiction due to the coronavirus isolation. So today we're going to talk about this with Josh McDowell, founder and president of Josh McDowell ministry and author or co-author of 152 books, including More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Today, we'll be talking about this new document that he's put out called What Comes Next? What Will Life Be Like After the COVID-19 Pandemic? Josh, so great to welcome you back to the show. How are you? Oh, Janet, this is like part of the Trinity calling me. (laughs) What? (laughs) You're funny. You're funny. I'm glad you're in good spirits because a lot of people are really having a difficult time right now. Can you talk a little bit about what your concerns are post-COVID-19, especially as it pertains to the isolation a lot of people have been in? Yes, there's probably eight. Let me just touch on several of the most important right at the beginning. Uh, You have to understand the, the virus isolation and everything did not cause any of this. It's just intensifying it. Why? You go back three months ago before the virus, the three top epidemics in the world globally in every country, every continent was pornography, loneliness, and depression. Hmm. I'll think of that. Loneliness and depression were two of the three greatest epidemics everywhere in the world. So along comes the isolation with the, uh, virus, it feeds in to loneliness, depression, and pornography. Let me show you what I mean. There's several things that trigger uh, anxiety, depression, loneliness, and pornography. Stress, fear, isolation, the unknown, etc. All those feed into it. And I believe when we come out of this, which will not be too long from now probably, when we come out of this, the church better be ready to minister to loneliness in people. Because this was a problem before the epidemic. And now the epidemic has exasperated it and depression and pornography. These three will be the greatest challenges of the church in the next two to three years after the pandemic. And my fear is the church will not be ready or will not address these three areas. Wow. Uh, And if that takes place, the church, the body of Christ, we're in trouble. Yeah. We're in trouble. Yeah. But, you know, I I have a lot of confidence in the church. Historically, in almost every every situation, the church responds to it. But here's the problem. They usually respond a little late. Mm 
uh, catching it after the wave has crashed, not as the wave is gathering steam. Right. And so what I'm trying to do uh, through my website, emails, and everything else is to get pastors now to prepare themselves to address these three issues. Well, I agree with you. I think this is, this is a great opportunity for ministry. That's the upside of all of this. But the question is, how can pastors prepare to address this once all of these lockdowns are lifted and we begin to see maybe some of the damage that's been done inside people's homes as they've been struggling with these issues? What can pastors do? It'll be too late then. You need to start now. So this is what I've done. Um, you go to josh.org. That's my website, josh.org, forward slash, put in pornography, uh, the porn epidemic. There's 1,800 all-documented pages broken down into, I think it's 16 documents, all for sermon prep for pastors. They wouldn't have to go anywhere else. It's all there for them. Or they can go to josh.org forward slash loneliness. I have 13 documents on loneliness. From what is it? What causes it? What are the symptoms of it? How do you deal with it? What does the Bible say about it? Everything. And it's what I try to do is do the homework, the prep for pastors. Then you go to josh.org forward slash depression. You get the same thing. Or josh.org forward slash anxiety. And you'll get number of documents on anxiety, what it is, what causes it, how is it manifested, what does the Bible say about it, and how do you overcome it? And so that's what I've tried to do, Janet, to help pastors. Wonderful. Uh, and I couldn't send, I, I'm sending out emails to about 14,000 pastors and youth pastors. But I can't put all this into an email. Uh, one, you couldn't send an email blast with attachments. Right. Second, the emails would would be too long to even send. That's why I had to link it to my website. It's not to promote me or my ministry or the website. It's to serve pastors Why I put it on my website. That's excellent. As you say, that's a lot of information to try to email, but it is available at josh.org. Let me ask you this, Josh. When you're talking about how pastors would deal specifically with the issue of pornography, I would imagine this would be a bit tricky because if you were to address this in a sermon, for example, I'm sure pastors are mindful of the fact that you have children there, you have wives there, you might have older people there who don't want to get into the nitty gritty of some of this stuff. How do you get around the awkwardness of discussing something that is tawdry in a family context where you do have little ones sitting there listening to the sermon? One, you have to be very wise. Uh, And this is what I suggest. You do a two, three, four part series. And the first couple series, what you have to do, what does the Bible say about sexuality? Yep. You've got to address that. You've got to come up with a positive, beautiful illustration of biblical sexuality. Why? Because every child, every person that's going to go buy pornography on the Internet, it will flash up. And when for a young person, it flashes up. For most of them, because they've never been taught what the Bible says about sexuality and all and how beautiful it is and positive and all, they cannot discern the difference between a counterfeit and the original. Right. 
And so many Christian young people growing up thinking born is God's view of sexuality. And so we've got to build into a child, I believe, starting at five, six, seven years old, a certain concept of sexuality. So when they do see it, and they're going to see it, the the issue is not if they see it. The issue is when they see it, (laughs) that they will immediately be able to detect this is a counterfeit. It's not the original. But in, I agree with you. In the church service, you can you have to handle it generally, but you're going to need a couple seminars, uh, maybe a Thursday night session, something else, a Wednesday night session for adults only. When I say adults from 15 and above, where you can really lay it out. Because if a pastor doesn't do it, then the pastor is responsible for many of his congregation going into pornography. Because they will go in to pornography. There's 2.3 billion pages, one click away on the internet, they can access right in the church sanctuary. Mm, that's terrible. And so you need seminars, but you've got to be careful how you advertise the seminars. If you say, Saturday morning, men, we have a seminar on pornography. I want you to be, well, nobody's going to go. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, you couch it, you might have a friend struggling with some of the areas of sexuality and all, and I would like you to be there. They'll know what you're going to talk about, the men will, right. and the adults will. And then the same thing for wives and others. Every church should have seminars, how to minister to the wife of a porn addict. Yeah. Yep. Because there's the one, every, almost every pastor says, look, the Bible says you obey your husband. You need to please your husband, be attractive to your husband, and obey him. Yeah, and you'll probably end up committing suicide mm, this when it is, comes to pornography. Yeah, you, you're making such good points, Josh, and this is all very, very important stuff to discuss as you're talking to pastors and trying to advise them on what to do in light of these challenges. Josh McDowell with us. We're going to take a short break. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. 
Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 to clinics if this goal is reached. And you can help. Call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Josh McDowell joining me, founder and president of Josh McDowell Ministry. You can find it at josh.org on the internet. And we are talking about some of the challenges that the church will be facing after this COVID-19 pandemic is gone. And even now we've been discussing, Josh, you've done a lot of research in this area at your website. People could find the documentation for their sermons, for example, for pastors on how issues like pornography and depression and anxiety and loneliness really are exacerbated during this period of lockdown during the coronavirus. But you've got other stuff that you've talked about in this What Comes Next document, Josh, which I wanted to ask you about as you're talking about life after the pandemic. I just like the concept of that. I'm looking forward to being in those days after the pandemic. But something else you discuss is... I think they're going to be much better. I really do. I hope so. I'm praying for that. And I was intrigued at what you said, for example, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but you talked about the spiritual climate. You say there will be a shift in the spiritual climate with greater interest in spiritual things, but not necessarily interest in churches. What do you mean there? What I mean by that is afterwards, people are going to be thinking more spiritually, not church. They'll be thinking more because they've been you know, isolated for two months or whatever. And they're going to be thinking about spiritual things, not about going to church. Hmm. Uh, And here's the thing. If pastors do not address some of these critical issues that are being exasperated, not caused, exasperated by the lockdown and the fear of the virus and the stress and all, then people will not attach spiritual things with the church. Hmm. I'm more convinced it'll be harder to get people to go to church and remain in church unless you are really relevant on what they're going through. Uh, And so that's why I say there's going to be an emphasis on spiritual things and not so much an emphasis on the church. Well, well, yeah. Now, when people are talking about spiritual things, what sorts of questions do you envision people will be asking that will enable Christians to respond and to guide people into the truth about Jesus Christ? How could a loving God allow something like that pandemic to happen? Yeah, that would be one of the first questions uh, that they will ask. And uh, the other would be, is God good? I believe, Janet, that is the number one apologetic question in the world. Hmm. It's not the manuscripts, the evidence for the New Testament, the Old Testament, no, or the resurrection and deity of Christ. Is God good? 
And there's a number of reasons of that. The pandemic is causing that. And also, as wonderful as the Internet is, the Internet gives churches, people like me and others, vast audiences we never dreamed of. Right. But at the same time, the Internet broadcasts many of the negative things. If the pastor falls to pornography, like this last week, I was brought aware of three, three of them by people in our congregation, that spreads globally on the Internet almost instantly. Yes. And so they see our dirty laundry, not just the clean shirt that's beautifully hanging there. Good point. And as a result of that, uh, they're, they're asking a little different questions about, is God good? Uh, how can you say the church is the answer? How can you say Christianity is the answer? Look at the way many Christians live. And that's one thing that's being exasperated by the pandemic. Good, good point. And do you think that Christians will have a renewed appreciation for their churches? Because I'm beginning to sense that as I'm talking to a lot of people, they're saying, boy, do I miss my church. I miss going and gathering with the saints. Online church is a good substitute, but not for very long, because there are just a lot of things involving ministry and fellowship that we can't get on the Internet. Will this be a really a buoy for Christians spiritually? going back to church in person, that we will have this renewed interest in, wow, we, we really appreciate the fact that we can gather in a way we didn't before the, the pandemic happened. It's logical that that would happen. And in my own life, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I said, oh, you know, I like Sundays going on the web and watching it. But I just miss being there and seeing friends and hugging them and yeah. shaking their hand and and being literally physically a part of the music, the emotion of it, the uh, pathos. But uh, I, I would think this would happen. But it won't last long if the pastors do not address loneliness, depression, anxiety, and pornography. Yeah. It won't. Because every person has a certain degree of it. Uh, and so I, I, I'm encouraged. Look, the church is God's institution. It will rise up. Pastors, my heroes in life are pastors. I don't know how pastors do it. They got, the only tougher job of being a pastor is being a pastor's wife. Uh, but a pastor's got to be all things to everyone. He's got to marry him. He's got to bury him. He's got to counsel him. He's got to teach him. He's got to encourage him. Everything. Plus, he's got his own family to raise. Sure. He's got his own marriage to take care of. Not, not just other people's marriages and families. So I try to do everything I can to help pastors. That's why I put on Josh.org, Josh.org forward slash. You can go to loneliness, depression, anxiety, or pornography, and pastor, I can help you. That's I can serve you. That's what I want to do. But yes, I think there will be uh, a much, I think there already is a much greater appreciation for each person's church. Yes. I know there is for me. I miss my pastors. I miss uh, being there. I miss seeing Frank at the front handing out the um, um, bulletins and all. And um, I, I miss going by and picking up a roll or a donut with a great cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> There's one thing to do that in your house. Another thing to do it with others, to go sit down at the table, and then a couple other people will come over and say, are you Josh McDowell? Yeah, I say, sit down. And they'll sit down, we'll have a conversation and all. You can't do that in your home. But I tell everyone, reach out to friends. Uh, email, 
text messages, phone, uh, touch base with friends, listen to your friends, share with your friends. And if you're really lonely, call one of your friends who's a close friend and share it with them. And the reason is they're probably lonely too. And the two of you can minister to each other. If you're feeling depressed, trust me, many of your friends are feeling depressed or having anxiety. Call them and share with them your feelings and give them an opportunity to share their feelings. And I'll guarantee you, when you hang up, you'd be a lot better off. That's wonderful. I think that's great advice. You know, when you're talking about addressing pornography and the need for pastors to do that along with depression and loneliness, what about loneliness? How do pastors best address that? Because there are some people, obviously, in society who are alone. Maybe they're a widow or they're divorced or they're single. They've been isolating alone for the most part. And it's not an easy alleviation when you live by yourself to immediately address loneliness and have a quick fix. But what would you advise pastors to do in order to address loneliness and that continuing problem for many people? I have 14 points of that on my Internet. But the one is, is to be very clear from Genesis and all that when God created, he said everything was good except for one thing he said is not good. And that was that man should not be alone. Yes. And that is a one thing. And it's important for people to understand that, that God doesn't want you. Being alone does not mean just you there. It means your, 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 uh, your emotions at all and your attitude and everything of loneliness. Uh, I know people who live alone and they're anything but lonely. And then I would have the pastor go down through a number of things. What I shared before, have them call one or two of their close friends. Now, usually women will have three, four, five close friends they can call and dump on. But men might be lucky to have one friend. Mm -hmm. But call a friend and share with them what you're feeling. Ask them how they're doing and listen to them. And second, get into a schedule. From the moment you walk, wake up in the morning to you go to bed at night, have a schedule what your day would do. For example, for me, when I wake up in the morning, um, the first thing I do, before I have devotions or anything, I fix the coffee machine. I pour in water, put in the beans, and empty the, the water on the bottom and empty the uh, coffee grounds and get it all set up for the rest of the day for Dottie and me. And then... I take all the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them away. I wash any dishes that are in the sink. I wipe off the counter and clean the floor. Then I go in and I have this special book now that I'm doing. There are three volumes of it for my devotionals. And it was written for kids, (laughs) but I think it was written on about the 25-year-old level. That's a mistake they made. (laughs) But I just love it. And... So I'll spend time in the Word of God, because for me, everything in your life, the umbrella over it all is God's Word and prayer. And um, then I have a certain routine I go through that day. Each day, for me, and this is true of most personalities, I need to build in accomplishment. When I go to bed at night and I've accomplished something, I can sleep so much better. That's me. Some people aren't that way. Right. But another thing is, step out of your life and try to encourage others during this time. 
For example, after I do my devotions, I write 10 notes of encouragement to 10 people. Nice. And mail them that day. That's nice. Then during the day, I can, sometimes I split uh, in the 10 emails and 10 phone calls, especially people overseas, to encourage them. And then before I go to bed, I write 10 more uh, personal encouragement notes to people. So that each day I'm touching 30 people's lives, apart from all the TV, radio, journals, interviews that I do, and uh, TV connections. That is terrific. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. But Josh McDowell, you can go to josh.org and access all this great information. Josh, God bless. Thanks for being with us again. My wife, you're the queen of pop shows. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks a lot, Josh. And we'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Today is the National Day of Prayer, and a very different National Day of Prayer during this 69th year of it. There will be a lot of virtual activities, prayers online and prayers on social media, and Actually, a virtual prayer program from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight. And the theme this year is Pray God's Glory Across the Earth, based on Habakkuk 2.14. Lots going on. Apparently, 60,000 local and state gatherings are expected to take place. And this evening's events will feature Will Graham, who is vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, along with Kathy Branzell, who is the president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. So you can get more information at their website. If you'd like to join in, there's a lot going on. And boy, do we need prayer. There is a lot to pray for this year. New things that we didn't see coming a year ago. Let's talk a little bit about Texas. Let's talk a little bit about Shelley Luther. It has not been lost on me that her last name is being upheld by people as, see, a bold stand for truth is being taken by somebody named Luther. I don't think there's any direct connection, clearly, but people are kind of getting on the bandwagon. And if you have not heard what went on, Shelley Luther is a beauty salon owner in Texas who was given a week in jail and a $7,000 fine because she did not obey Governor Greg Abbott's directive to stay at home. Now, there, there have been a lot of developments. You've had the governor now weigh in and the attorney general and the lieutenant governor. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But according to court documents via CBS, Luther was sentenced to seven days in jail for violating a temporary restraining order to close her business. She's the owner of Salon a la Mode and Hot Mess Enterprises. She opened her salon in April after her city and county ordered the closure of all non-essential businesses in March. And she has said that she, in fact, has opposed the stay-at-home order for financial reasons and publicly ripped up one of the court orders at a protest with a 100 other people. So this uh, this this obviously is not going to fly, but the way it has been playing out has been very 
disturbing, very disturbing. And online CBS had aired some of the Zoom meeting between the judge and Shelley Luther. And I want you to listen to what this judge had to say. Judge Eric V. Moyer of the 14th Civil District Court of Dallas. Listen to cut one. That you now see the error of your ways and understand that the society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials, that you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespect, disrespected by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders, which we now know obviously apply to you, that you understand that the proper way in which an or, in an ordered society to engage concerns which you may have had is to hire a lawyer and advocate for change, an exception or an amendment to laws that you find offensive, that you publicly state that this is the way that citizens in the state should behave, and that you represent to this court that you will today cease operation of your salon and not reopen until after further orders of, this, of the government permit you to do so. This court will consider the payment of a fine in lieu of the incarceration, which you've demonstrated that you have so clearly earned. Wow, that was pretty tough. You'd think she was really a hardened criminal. All she did was open her business. Now, I understand. I understand what's going on here. The, the, the state does have a right in some respects to what goes on at your business. For example, if you have faulty electrical wiring, they can step in and say, you're, you don't have a safe business. You got to clean this up. You got to fix this before you're allowed to open. They have a right. The state does. The government does to grant liquor licenses. You can't serve liquor unless you have a liquor license. So you have businesses being regulated by the government. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. So that part of it, we understand. And I also understand the part where the judge was talking about the need. If you do have a problem with a law, Hire a lawyer, try to get an injunction, try to get a restraining order or whatever the appropriate legal action is. I understand that, but I don't understand a judge coming down on a woman who says, I just want to feed my kids and says, you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespected. What is that? I mean, it sounds like he's taking it personally. And that's not the job of a judge. The job of a judge is to come out with a decision that is in keeping with the law and in in this case, meeting out punishment that is deemed appropriate. I think the punishment did not fit the crime, although you can say she she did violate the orders. But come on, you have to say you're sorry to the elected officials because you disrespected them. You know, they're not kings. What is that? I mean, can you imagine being told that you got a traffic ticket? You better apologize to that police officer whom you disrespected because you went 25 in a school zone. I mean, really? It, it's not a high crime or misdemeanor there. Well, it's a misdemeanor, but you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a little insane and over the top. So this was the response from Shelley Luther. Listen to cut two. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been, been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be, but... I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon. 
All right. No wonder people are resonating with this particular case because so many business owners in particular can identify with this. It's not selfish for me to want to feed my kids. It's not selfish for me to want to take care of my employees. So what has happened since then? Well, as of Friday, hair salons and barbershops can open up again in Texas. So this is one of the ways that Governor Greg Abbott is dealing with the situation. And a number of Texas officials have come out, including the governor. This is what Governor Abbott put out as far as a statement saying, I joined the attorney general because the attorney general called for the immediate release of this jail Dallas salon owner, Shelley Luther. Greg Abbott said, I joined the attorney general in disagreeing with the excessive action by the Dallas judge putting Shelley Luther in jail for seven days. As I have made clear through prior pronouncements, jailing Texans for noncompliance with executive orders should always be the the last available option. Compliance with executive orders during this pandemic is important to ensure public safety. However, surely there are less restrictive means to achieving that goal than jailing a Texas mother. Now, people immediately said, well, pardon her. There's been a whole movement on social media. Pardon Shelley Luther. Come on, you're the governor. Pardon. I think what he may do, we'll see what he does. He didn't do that, but he's a little bit in, you know, between a rock and a hard place because when he's the one issuing the executive order, he can't really say, yeah, never mind my executive order. Then you look kind of foolish. But on the other hand, when this new directive kicks in on Friday, Hopefully that will be an opportunity to get her out of jail and say, you know, she's in jail for seven days, but it's actually okay for her to open up her hair salon. Not to mention the fact that she's getting tons of money on that GoFundMe page, if you've seen that. Anyway, Ken Paxton is calling for the immediate release of Shelley Luther, as I mentioned, and said, I find it outrageous and out of touch that during this national pandemic, a judge in a county that actually released hardened criminals for fear of contracting COVID-19 would jail a mother for operating her hair salon in an attempt to put food on her family's table. The trial judge did not need to lock up Shelley Luther. His order is a shameful abuse of judicial discretion, which seems like another political stunt in Dallas. He should release Miss Luther immediately. And here's what's really great. Dan Patrick comes in. He's the lieutenant governor of Texas and tweets out this. Seven days in jail, no bail, and a $7,000 fine is outrageous. No surprise Texans are responding. responding. I'm covering the $7,000 fine she had to pay, and I volunteer to be placed under house arrest so she can go to work and feed her kids. I said, now that is somebody who understands the Texas voter mentality. (laughs) That was my first reaction. I don't think they're going to put the lieutenant governor of Texas under house arrest in her place. There's something very Christian about that, though, right? Somebody who takes somebody else's place and takes the punishment for somebody who is in trouble. It's very, very wonderful. We live and die by that as Christians. We're so glad Jesus did that for us. But I don't think Shelley Luther is going to come out of this a loser. I think she's going to come roaring back to life because she has the support of so many people. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today. Don't go away. There's a lot more to come. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. COVID-19 is creating a surge in unplanned pregnancies as American children in place. 
Meanwhile, preborn crisis lines are flooded and we have quadrupled our patients seeking abortions. Your help is needed now more than ever as clinics had to cancel spring fundraisers. Would you consider sponsoring an ultrasound to introduce moms to their preborn babies? When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn is able to send $100,000 to clinics if this goal is reached. You can help. Call 855-402-BABY now. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Once again, call 855-402-BABY or there's a banner to click at Chan. If you're a medical professional, here's a way to move from success to even greater significance. Mercy Ships has an urgent need for pediatric registered nurses. You'll be joining dozens of volunteer medical professionals who've been blessed by the opportunity. I think all nurses should do something like this. To serve the unserved is one of the most beautiful experiences. Get more information by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Mercy Ships, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. I was thinking a little bit about this issue of business owners just saying enough is enough. I need my business back. I've been under supposed house arrest for the last several weeks and I have a family to feed too. Who can blame them? Who can blame them, especially when we see data on the fact that the shutdowns don't work and the lockdowns are not going to stem the tide of COVID-19 the way people think that they are? If you see these numbers coming out of New York, some insane number of New Yorkers who were hospitalized were at home when they got COVID-19. So maybe they were. Where did they get it? I don't know. I don't know where these people get it, but I know the large number of people who are dying and we don't want anybody to die of this, but they're people with underlying health conditions and they're people who are elderly. You know, most people overwhelmingly are recovering from COVID-19. And that's the point everybody keeps coming back to who is thinking at all critically about this situation. Wait a minute. This isn't the Black Plague. It isn't as if everybody who gets COVID-19 you know, their families all come down with it, too, and they all drop dead. It's not one of those plagues. So what is really going on now over in the state of Washington? You have a story here. I want to play a little bit of this audio as well, because this is from uh, KIRO7 in Snohomish, Washington. A barber is doing essentially the same thing that Shelley Luther did. And I want you to listen to this. It's not just Dallas where this kind of thing is happening. Listen to cut four pushback on the governor's recently extended stay-home order and his phased-in approach to reopening. A Snohomish barbershop has decided to ignore it, pointing to comments from the county sheriff that he won't enforce it. The barber tells Cairo 7's Michael Spears that gave him the green light to open his doors. Some waited several hours, others crossed several county lines just to get a haircut at that barbershop. The owner tells us he believes the governor's order goes too far. Haircuts inside 
A line of eager customers waiting outside this longtime Snohomish barbershop. Yeah, I was here for a couple hours. That's now openly defying Governor Inslee's order for businesses like this to remain closed for the time being. And I stand by that, and I'll fight them right to the death. Owner Bob Martin said more than 130 people stopped by for a haircut over the weekend. If I got to wear a mask once in there, I got one in my pocket. And he does not feel bad about it. The overhead is expensive here, and I had to make sure I could pay for that. Wow. Well, of course. And then there was something else that made him want to take his stand. Listen to Cut 5. He said he felt emboldened by the Snohomish County Sheriff's open defiance of enforcing the governor's order that's now extended at least until the end of the month. Because it's our constitutional right to do what we are doing to maintain a livelihood. They don't have the authority to take that away from us. Barbershops fall under phase two of Inslee's newly announced four-phased approach to reopening the state's economy that could be at least several weeks away as we're now only just beginning phase one. The governor was asked last week what the state would do if businesses jumped the gun. Well, that just hasn't happened. And, you know, the, the great members of the press keep wishing for failure here, but that's not how we operate in Washington. We look for, for success, and that's what we're experiencing. Success, he has said, that shows his stay-at-home order is working. Warning, lifting restrictions too soon could have devastating consequences echoed by the former FDA commissioner on Sunday. If we don't snuff this out more and you have this slow burn of infection, it can ignite at any time. This business owner said reopening was not just about money, but the message. We've gone way too far already. We're not going to let it happen. Now think about this for a moment. Consider if the malady that was consuming everybody's time and attention over the last couple of months was the flu. You could say the same thing in some respects about the flu that you heard right there in that clip. Well, if we open up again, more people will get sick and more people will die. Well, that's true with the flu as well. If you were to substitute out that particular ailment for COVID-19. Now, I know the differences between the two have to do with how contagious COVID-19 is and the fact that there isn't a vaccine, but it remains a fact that the death rate is about what the seasonal flu is. So that's another point people come back to. Here's another story that I think is related to this. This is from CBS as well. Texas restaurants that reopened at partial capacity last week have a choice to make whether or not their employees should wear masks. And they talk about the Hillstone Restaurant Group in Dallas. Um, They apparently are coming under fire because... They don't want their employees to wear masks because they say that this inhibits their business and they don't want them to work if they wear masks. And they have an infectious disease epidemiologist calling Hillstone's decision concerning. It is really important to be able to wear those face coverings, especially if you can't keep that six foot social distancing, which, of course, when you go into a restaurant, that's very hard to maintain. So they go on about Greg Abbott's minimum standard health protocols for restaurants and you've got a social distance. Hillstone management points to the law writing on its website current orders do not require our staff or guests to wear face masks if you're concerned about your safety in this respect we hope you will join us at a later date here's why i bring this up you know i talked earlier this week about the issue of masks here are a couple of additional things that might be pertinent to this discussion this is a story from the 7th of april on the guardian here's the headline face masks cannot stop healthy people getting covid19 says the World Health Organization. 
<laughs> yeah. The World Health Organization has held off from recommending people wear face masks in public after assessing fresh evidence that suggested the items may help to contain the pandemic. The WHO reviewed its position on masks in light of data from Hong Kong indicating that their widespread use in the community may have reduced the spread of coronavirus in some regions. But in updated guidance, the organization maintained that while masks could help limit the spread of the disease, they were insufficient on their own. There was no evidence that wearing a mask in the community prevented healthy people from picking up respiratory infections, including COVID-19. I thought we were all worshiping the WHO in all of this. All these Karens who want everybody to wear a mask and wear gloves and stand 73 feet away from everybody at Walmart and, you know, go back home and lock your doors. How come they don't care what the WHO has to say about face masks? I don't really understand that. I and, and then I go to the WHO website and it talks about when and how to wear medical masks to protect against coronavirus. And they say, if you are healthy, you only need to wear a mask if you're taking care of a person with COVID-19. So why are people freaking out about masks? Is there no better organization to turn to for advice on this than the World Health Organization? That so many of these people who are pro-mask revere with the highest reverence, they're saying if you're healthy, you don't need a mask. We've had other doctors say, in fact, wearing a mask doesn't do anything. You need to have exposure to microbes. You need to have exposure to germs in order for your healthy immune system to get up in a gear and to be able to fight off whatever comes your way. If you are living in a completely sanitized environment with gloves and masks and you look like a surgeon about to go in and operate, on somebody, you're actually inhibiting your immune system's ability to build up some kind of immunity to whatever germs are coming around. So that's when we start talking about herd immunity and things of that sort. That's why there is increasingly a group of people who are saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, questioning, 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 which I think is so important. And, and you know, not allowing fear to take hold of us in such a way that we're no longer willing to look at the data as it actually is or to look at some of the recommendations of people who truly are skilled in immunology and epidemiology. I'm not an immunologist. What do I know? But I know there are a lot of doctors out there who are beginning to speak up and say you shouldn't be in lockdown. That, that's actually suppressing your immune system. And by the way, most of the people who contract COVID-19 are surviving. And many times they don't even know they have it. Now, this is interesting. Daniel Horowitz over at Conservative Review has a good piece uh, really going after Lori Lightfoot. She's the mayor of Chicago. And she announced just a few days ago, we will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you. Don't make us treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in the city in the middle of a pandemic, we will take you to jail, period. Thanks, Mayor. That's wonderful. I have so much confidence in you for threatening me in a public address if I don't do things your way. Now, this is interesting. Daniel points out in one of the most unreported stories in the country right now, murders have skyrocketed in Chicago, even though everything is shut down. While some places are experiencing almost no crime, Chicago murders are tracking ahead of this time last year. And there have been 73 more shooting victims than last year. Again, that is simply astounding, given that almost a quarter of the year so far has been spent on lockdown. So what's it going to be, Mayor Lightfoot? If you rob someone with a mask, you're free to go. But if you take off the mask, then it's OK to arrest the dangerous criminal. 
Perhaps he's not a danger to the community so long as he pulls his gun out six feet away from the victim. This is the hypocrisy that is going on, especially in the left. You know, it it really tells you a lot about the ideology of the different parties and the different factions when you see how they act in this kind of a situation. Pay attention to it. Pray for this country on this National Day of Prayer. There's so much to pray for. Dear Lord, restore our republic and bring this nation back to you in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.